The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The first verse of our epistle lesson this morning is very familiar just to people who know the scriptures. Because Paul is studied a lot, and this begins the whole uh, third section of his epistle. But for us as Anglicans, it probably is familiar for another reason as well. And that is because Thomas Cranmer, who compiled the first English prayer books, lifted from this passage as part of the liturgy for Holy Communion. In the prayer of consecration, we hear these words, And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls, and bodies, to be a reasonable holy, and living sacrifice unto thee. He's added some words, but you get the gist. He's, he's taken from that, he's expanded upon it, and put it into the service of Holy Communion. But we should take note that Cranmer is using this thought in a little different context, because he uses it for worship. Whereas, I said, Paul used it to begin his third section of his epistle on the Christian life and Christian ethics in view of our salvation in Christ. Is there a conflict there? Did Thomas Cranmer get it wrong somehow? Well, not really. Because there's an important Greek word here that ties these two together. Our devotion and piety and our worship of God on the one hand and our Christian life of obedience and service in the name of Christ and to Christ on the other. And that word is translated in what we heard this morning as spiritual worship 
present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the King James translates those last two words as, which is your spiritual service. And many other translations do that as well. In fact, a quick kind of review, not ex exhaustive, but it appeared to me that it's about 50-50 in translations between spiritual worship and spiritual service. When you see something like that in translation, it gives you a definite clue that there is a word behind it in the New Testament, Greek, a word behind it that is not easily translated by one or two words in English. That there is a richness to the word that you only get in translation by the fact that it comes out a little differently in different translations. So what is this mysterious word? The word is latreia, which, from which we get the word liturgy, and we also get the word laity. That word in Greek, if you go to the concordance or a, a, a Greek lexicon, you'll discover that it is most often translated as a public work, a public service or the work of the people, the work of the people. That's what pulls things together because particularly in the Bible, Old Testament and New, although the Old Testament of course was written in Hebrew, but there's a Hebrew word that essentially means the same thing. That more and more it was applied to religious service because after all, services were done publicly. Now, when you think about that, the implications are profound because of what it says about worship and because of what it says about our lives generally in Christ. Because you see, when it comes to worship, what it is saying is, this is not a stage production Sunday by Sunday week by week. This is not a performance. This is not a spectator sport where something's put on in front and people just kind of come and they soak it all in during the course of the experience. Now it is true there's an awful lot of care and preparation that goes into our worship on Sunday morning because after all we are worshiping God we want to offer the very best that we can with our feeble human frames. But think about what goes into it and who's doing it. You not only have the priest, but you have the church musician. Under better circumstances, you have a choir. Now we have tech people to make sure that we include people who are not here Sunday by Sunday. We have an altar guild to set things up. We have lectors. We have ushers. We have the person who puts the bulletin together. And then, of course, we have the congregation as a whole who comes here on Sunday morning 
to join in that work of God's people in worshiping and offering praise to God. That's one reason why we have so much dialogue in the service. The Lord be with you and also with you. The peace of the Lord be always with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Back and forth it goes because the congregation together with the priest and the musicians and everybody else that coordinated to pull it together is doing the work of God's people in worship and praise and thanksgiving, doing what Christ bid us to do, to remember and to give thanks. It's here on Sunday morning that we go back to that rock. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in making that affirmation and in receiving the, the sacrament that he left to us, we are constantly nourished and made more and more into his image and likeness. As Paul says, just beyond that passage, being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we no longer think like people in the world, but we think like the people of God. Which brings us to the other profound aspect to this liturgy being the work of God's people. That because we are transformed and we are being made more and more into the image and likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ, we begin to know God's will, to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we begin to feel his call to go and to do in order to reflect the fullness and the joy of our life in Christ and to invite others to the same, to serve those who are in need in Christ's name. We do it as a body, not as individuals, because in that transformation we come to realize that we are not a collection of individuals, but we are members of a body, each with our own gifts, each with our own part. And it is only in working all together in a coordinated effort that we actually do the work of Christ. Only Christ was perfect. We come together and we take our place under his headship and we serve then and minister in his name. Years ago, there was an author by the name of Elizabeth O'Connor. She was a member of what was called the Church of the Saint Savior in Washington, D.C., it was a non-denominational church, but not your typical non-denominational church. It was, it was kind of um, uh, mainline in a lot of ways, and yet um, it was a highly committed church. Um, it was a church that existed for people who really wanted to take seriously what life in Christ was all about. And one of the books that she wrote was a book entitled 
Journey Inward, Journey Outward. And it was a book that was about that balance within our Christian lives of coming together with God's people to worship, to pray, to study, to be molded and shaped by Christ, to, to grow into the mind of Christ. That was the journey inward. But then from that, again, having been transformed, we come to know the will of God and what it is that God is calling us to do. And they would go out from there in loving service in the community in which they existed. That journey outward was one of Christian service and the life during the week. It was a testimony to the fact that our spiritual worship is spiritual service and it goes beyond Sunday and it goes beyond these walls. Another way of putting it is an intensive liturgy and an extensive liturgy. We come here for an intensive liturgy that is highly symbolic and, and you know, we go through it and, um, and, and we're nurtured with the sacraments and we hopefully learn something more about God during the course of, of it. And then we go out in service to the community. I stress that because the early church understood this. The early church lived it, being the body of Christ and working together, making their Christian commitment a 24-7 experience of common prayer and common service. In the Western church, unfortunately, somewhere during the Middle Ages, a lot of that was lost. And our religious life tended to become a very highly individualized and highly personalized thing. The mass was done by the priest. It really almost was a spectator experience because it was being done in a language that people didn't understand. And so there were these personal devotions that people were invited to do while the Mass was going on. And the emphasis was on that personal benefit from coming and sharing in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. But thanks be to God, in more recent decades, we have had a great rediscovery of this profound truth about the church, that all together we are called to be his body. All together we are called to make that witness. All together we are invited to come in intensive liturgy to be nourished for that extensive liturgy within the world all the rest of our week. This is what Paul was talking about when he says, I pray you, brothers and sisters, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your spiritual worship, which is your spiritual service.
Amen.